Welcome to the Sermon B-Side Podcast, a podcast of Liberty Church in the Harrisburg region of Central Pennsylvania. Sermon B-Side is designed to be a resource to answer your questions and to go deeper into the conversation started by each week's sermon. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Liberty Church Sermon B-Side Podcast. My name is Matt Luloyan, serve as one of the pastors here at Liberty Church. And with me today, Bob, bada bing, birthday, <laughs> Carvella, Bob, happy birthday to you. Today's the day, 7-11. Yeah. 7-11 is Bob Carvella's birthday, and yeah. we have the distinct privilege of having him be a co-host of the B-Side podcast on his birthday. Yeah, pretty exciting. I can't think of any other place I'd rather be. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was always hoping you would say. Yeah. I'm sure you imagined years ago what you would be doing on your 63rd. 63rd. Birthday. Yeah, 63. And this is, I'm sure, what you were thinking you were going to be doing. Yeah, well, I was hoping. You were hoping. One can only hope. One can only hope. Yeah. And here we are. Yeah, here we are. And here we are. Well, happy birthday, Bob. Well, thanks. Long ago, well, not long ago, shouldn't say it that way, 24 years ago now, uh, my birthday really actually only serves as a reminder on the calendar that Julie's birthday is four days from now. That's good. Yeah. It's, it's helpful that it's that way and not the other way around. Yeah. That, or it would be, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Very helpful indeed. Yeah. That's, um, I've, I have family members that similarly have a birthday and then yeah. the anniversary or some other key date falls a few days yeah, yeah. after and it's a good, it's a good prompt. Yes. It's a good reminder. Yep. So it works out well, but thank you. Yeah, Looking absolutely. A good day. Yeah, Steve is uh, is out today, and so you've got the two of us uh, doing the B side podcast for the first of nine rhythms of grace. We did an intro week last week, uh, and then yesterday we we dove into the first of the actual nine rhythms. Yeah, and uh, yesterday we uh, you focused in your sermon on gathered worship, one of the nine rhythms, and you know I'm I'm really grateful that um, my history, my growing up years, really. Um, uh, church and going to Sunday worship was a real centerpiece of, of mm. life for me. And I'm not even entirely sure that I was a Christian through any of that time. I probably wasn't. Mm. Uh, but even, even through going to gathered worship through those years, I think about hymns that we sang. I don't remember too many sermons. Sorry, Matt. <laughs> I, I, I don't remember too many sermons. I'm, I'm offended. I'm deeply offended. <laughs> but, but I do remember the hymns that we sang, uh, and the words of those hymns were very rich, and, and I still sing them. Even sometimes mm. when I'm uh, holding babies on Thursday morning at the mm. NICU and, and trying to figure out ways to engage with, you know, a three-week-old, I, yeah. I sing hymns to them. And, awesome. and I remember those, a lot of the words of those hymns from back then, and I remember reading one time Ch- Tim Chalice writing that uh, one of the beauties of gathered worship is is listening to the words that brothers and sisters are singing around you. And you even alluded to this yeah, yeah. yesterday. Even when you can't sing, when circumstances in your life are such that you can't sing, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, or whatever the right. hymn might be. Right. Listening to other brothers and mm. sisters singing that around you and for you, it's incredibly encouraging. And yeah. so I really thought you, uh, you you did a great job of opening up Hebrews 10 mm. uh, in that section. Uh, one, if you could take maybe 60 or 90 seconds, uh, yeah. just recap what you went over, maybe even talk about a few things that if you had a little more time you would have liked to dive into further yeah it'd be great to hear there's so many directions you could go with gathered there worship. are yeah and 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 so it's interesting that the the hebrews 10 passage 
I think is helpful for this because it's one of the, the so throughout the New Testament, throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, the, the, the baseline assumption is that the people of God are gathering to worship God. Mm-hmm. Different specifics under the Old Covenant and the New Covenant of what the worship looks like. But the assumption is that they're gathering. And so it's actually not till you get to later in the first century that you start that, that, um, that there's the, this initial pressure that, that, um, I'm sure the pressure existed, but that you're actually hearing authors of scripture speak to the pressure to withdraw and to neglect gathering. Mm-hmm. So there's not a whole lot of passages in scripture that speak about how important it is to gather because the baseline assumption is that they are, people are gathering. And so Hebrews 10 is an interesting, is an interesting part of our, of our Bible because it's one of the few places that we actually have uh, authoritative words that actually say, don't neglect this because it's maybe, maybe the, one of the earlier iterations in history of Christians neglecting it. Yeah. Um, so fast forward 2000 years and you know, it's a lot easier and more common for Christians to neglect that in our day. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a, it's a really helpful passage and you know, we, all of scripture is written for our instruction. I think this is a, this, this relatively short passage, six verses or so packs a lot of punch for for us today so we we opened up hebrews 10 19 through 25 really seeing the three exhortations Hmm. in that text that the author includes um that that we gather for worship to draw near to draw near to god we gather to worship to hold fast uh, really be anchored in our faith and be able to not waver from our confession uh, the confession of our hope and we draw near to stir up uh, to stir one another up to love and good deeds so those are the three big exhortations there and why um, even wanted to, to try to honestly acknowledge yesterday that there are risks to gathering with God's people. There are all kinds of, of risks and pressures, mm-hmm. um, but the, those risks pale in comparison to the risks of neglecting this incredible outpouring of God's grace. The gather worship is a gift for the people of God. It is to worship God as well, but it's a gift for us, and to neglect it is to to cut ourselves off from from that grace. Sure, I, I was thinking about that as you were talking yesterday. It is very easy now and very convenient uh, and very accessible to watch good sermons, absolutely um, on uh, on YouTube or on various platforms. Ones you might remember. Ones you might remember <laughs> years down the road. That's right. Such as your sermon yesterday. That's exactly it. Yes. That's, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's so easy. And yet I was thinking that it's great to get that kind of teaching. I'm not sure that's worship. Sure. That's that's teaching. Yeah. That's, that's learning. You can grow through that. Yeah. Worship is so much more than that. It's so much more than hearing a sermon. It is. Um, and as we talk about in... Um, in uh, the In Covenant class and maybe even Liberty 101, um, I like that Michael Dolislager yesterday went over the the way that we structure our liturgy. So yeah. our service is structured so that really there's three different opportunities for the gospel to be presented. There's through the initial part of the liturgy as we sing to God and acknowledge his greatness, as we then turn and acknowledge our unworthiness, mm-hmm. uh, confess our sin and be assured and encouraged of the grace that is available to us and that we have received through Jesus Christ only yeah. because of what he's done for us. So, yeah. so that's one. Preaching every Sunday is another. And then actually uh, physically and sensually mm-hmm. participating in the gospel through yeah. the sacrament of communion. So three yeah. times each Sunday we get to hear uh, and participate in a recitation of the gospel, yeah. which is great. Absolutely. And that's, 
that's part of that that formative work that gathered worship does for us, um, where we are not only worshiping, but we are being formed as worshipers yes. over and over again. I thought Michael as well did a great job. We've had other liturgists do that at different times. Mm-hmm. Um, there's actually a whole series that we did. Oh man, I want to say 2017 or 2018 uh, called rehearsing the gospel. Yes. And we actually did a deeper dive into the different elements of our services uh, I remember around. each of those. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you do, Bob. I'm sure you're ready to quote to quote a line from each of those. But um, but in that one, you know, talking about the the call to worship and confession, and talking about even singing, uh, why we sing and what why that's part of worship, preaching the sacraments. So there's um, if you ever want to do a deeper dive than like our liturgists do, you can go back on our on our SoundCloud page, which uh, you can access through our website and find. Uh, the rehearsing the gospel series, which yes. is you know, another one, another good one to to uh, to pull out and dust off um, at some point. Yeah, yeah that's, that's for sure. That's for sure. But yeah, yesterday was was gathered worship. I think if there was more time, um, I mean, diving in even more to to some of that formative aspect of what what we do in worship could have been helpful. Um, we really were touching on a lot of different things, trying to um, to help envision Christians who do gather, but maybe feel it's like it's kind of rote or just out of discipline to see the real worth and value of it. Mm-hmm. Um, also, and we actually got a question toward this end to help equip us to have gracious and intentional conversations with other people who love Jesus and profess faith in Jesus, um, but who have functionally devalued gathered worship by, yeah. by not gathering. Yeah, yeah. Um, so how do we, how do we do that? And then also wanted to speak yesterday to, um, this, this current, as you were saying, the current reality in which we live, which really took off. It was already existing in kind of seed form pre-COVID. COVID, for understandable reasons, like rocket fuel to the, the whole idea of virtual church services, virtual worship, virtual campuses for churches. It's like, it's, that's the, in some ways, it's the next great division in at least the, the Protestant church across much of the world. Yeah. And, uh, and, and to some extent, the Catholic and Orthodox Church, too. But, you know, what does that look like to exist in spaces and use technology, but to, to not alter the fundamental definition of what it means to be the gathered people of God yeah. for worship? Yeah. And uh, one thing you said in your sermon yesterday that was so good, it, um, you talked about the we aspect of the language in there. Mm. Since we have confidence. Yeah. Um, since we have a great high priest. You know, uh, consuming or just merely watching uh, a live stream of a service yeah you miss that whole we aspect of worship it's yeah. just yeah. it's just an individual activity or if you might have a couple other people in the living room with you or whatever but but you miss out on the the whole aspect of being together with brothers and sisters mm-hmm. uh, worshiping together because we collectively, have access to the throne of grace. We collectively come with our praises, yeah. our confession, even as we confess corporately. Yeah. There are sins that we share. We don't all individually uh, commit the same sins, but there, there's yeah. a commonality to the sins that we commit. And we, as a body, confess those mm-hmm. and and are assured of the forgiveness that we have received through Christ. So, yeah, um, yeah, we, we j- you just miss so much. You do. You really do. And that's... That gets into a little bit too of a, of a great question that, that got submitted, but just this idea of, you know, how much are we viewing worship as a, as a, and, and viewing church as something we consume as content, 
uh, versus an actual experience of drawing near to, to God with each other and giving our praises to God, being formed in the good news of his gospel, um, being participants and celebrants yeah. in that as opposed to just uh, passive recipients yeah. of, of other people's content. Yeah, it, it, we're, you know, we're not called to be observers. It's a participatory event that's that right. we are yeah. called into as yeah. brothers and sisters in Christ. Yeah, that's good. So. Well, we got um, kind of kind of two questions. Like uh, the same person sent this first one in, and then sent a great follow up in. Yeah, so great questions. These are really good questions, and and perhaps something like this, you know, you, you had this a question like this prompted in your mind um, from yesterday. So let's uh, let's dive into those and um, talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So let's go with this first question here. It says, uh, "Today's sermon sent me down a rabbit hole thinking about home churches." You, you may have heard about the home church movement. Oftentimes we think about that over in places like China. Mm-hmm. But even here in the United States, there has been from time to time little pockets of home churches develop. Um, so th- yeah. that's what this question is about, home churches. I have quite a few friends and acquaintances who firmly feel America is doing church wrong and participate in home churches. I know some of them have been inspired or even attended conferences led by Francis Chan on this concept. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if you can address if this counts as church and gathered worship from your knowledge of Scripture. Thanks so much. Yeah, that's a really good question. And it makes sense that that even something like yesterday would send you down a rabbit hole like that, especially even as you're thinking about friends that maybe you're wondering, like, are are they devaluing gathering and and not so i think it's interesting to know the history of francis chan in some sense and maybe what he's responding slash reacting slash overreacting to in some of the things that he because i have great appreciation for francis chan read a number of his books i think there's uh, a lot of things that i can affirm and appreciate about him and his ministry so his story was that for something like 15 years he, he started a church in a home that grew to be a very large, uh, very large church, a mega church in Simi Valley, California, um, somewhere around there. Uh, pretty sure it was Simi Valley. Cornerstone. It's all mm-hmm. coming back. It's all coming <laughs> back to me. Um, I used to listen to his podcast, read his books. So that church grew very large. And then he had kind of a mid-career, maybe mid-life kind of big gut check moment of like, what, what exactly are we doing here? Um, had a real heart for the gospel's movement around the world globally, did that for a while, came back to the United States, and then started this kind of movement of house churches or home churches. And so that's that's kind of some of the stuff I think that's, that um, some of these friends of this person who asked this question have gotten into. Um, so here's what I'd say about that. I think that um, what they're reacting to in some ways are the overly and in insanely sometimes consumeristic expressions of church in America, which um, this is not a true hundred percent across the board. It's a generalization, but it tends to be the more kind of mega your church is, the more you're probably fitting into buying into some of that more consumeristic uh, churches and, and individuals in churches are more consumers of of the great content and programs of a few people's leadership, as opposed to an expressive, an expression of the body of Christ where everyone's gifts are being used to complement each other. Yeah. Very marketing driven, marketing driven. And there are some large churches that, that find ways to do, to do church and to do the, the relational aspects of church and the discipleship stuff of church. Well, so I don't want to write off all of them in that, 
But I would say, generally speaking, the more kind of mega your church becomes, the larger your church becomes, the harder it is to not start to, to build the consumeristic kind of approach where there's a number of people that are passive consumers of things as opposed to engaged disciples and, and growing as disciples. So, um, so I think there's a lot that can be really beautiful and good about house churches and home churches. Um, I guess my concerns with them are, are, are twofold. The, the biggest one and the biggest one biblically would be um, there's typically little to no attention given to what the biblical models for oversight, leadership, authority, accountability look like in those settings. And so, uh, like, for example, in Scripture, you've got descriptions for the qualifications of an elder and the qualifications of a deacon. And you even have in there um, this idea that it needs to be called and qualified leaders in those roles who are identifying and raising up the future people to serve in those roles, too. Yes. And there's, a, there's a continuity. Now, in the Protestant in the Protestant tradition, we don't trace that all the way back to like the original 12 apostles, but, um, but there is, there are called and qualified elders who lay their hands on future called and qualified elders and yes. say, you are, you are affirmed to do this work. Yep. Often in house church and home church models, there's not enough attention given to that. And so you have, now there are, of course, and we've, we see these cause they're much more public and, and because they're bigger, <laughs> uh, crazy example, you know, terrible, tragic examples of abuses of authority, spiritual abuse playing sure. out from, from people that have gone through the more traditional institutionalized routes yeah. of, of that. And maybe some of that is even a reaction against those kinds of situations. I think so. Yeah. I think so. But you, what you don't hear about as much, but what, what is also prevalent is that you have unqualified, domineering, abusive leaders that show up in these house churches yes, for sure. and probably more so. Um, because there's less oversight and accountability in those mm-hmm. settings. And um, so I think that's one, that's maybe the biggest concern biblically is like, is there an actual, uh, are there actually called and qualified elders, pastors overseeing these, these local expressions? And if so, who are they and how did they, how did they get there? Mm-hmm. How did they show up being, being the, the pastors, the spiritual leaders, the spiritual authorities of these yeah. settings? Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of that one. I think the other one is is also it's it's biblical, but more an, an extrapolation of what we read in scripture, and that is to say, often groups like this, and I know this is true for Francis Chan, will say things like, "Well, what if we just had the Bible? What if we just had the Bible? What would church look like?" And I think there's a beauty to that in that it will combat this excessive consumeristic approach, which we need to we need to be challenged in that. And that's where I'll hear I'll hear men like Francis Chan and other people bring that kind of corrective. All day long. Yeah. I think that's really helpful. But um, there's a there's a short-sightedness to that perspective that says if we just went back to Acts chapter 2 and did that, everything would be right with the American church. And the, and the reality is um, you're ignoring the fact that that same church that started in Acts chapter 2 is the one that over time, as it grew, as it was successful in doing all the things that this, that this movement and movements like it want to do – um, they saw more people come to faith in Christ. They they grew. They needed more structure to actually yes. support that ongoing relational work. Um, and they and that's where it's um, in some ways it's it's short sighted, and in some ways it's kind of like a sneaky, um, you know, underhanded under not underhanded understated kind of arrogance, just to say, 
well, all we got to do is undo everything that the church has been for like the last centuries upon centuries. And then we'll go back to Acts chapter two and, and get it right. Yeah. And I would say um, that that's, that's naive at best mm-hmm. because you're, because the more that you actually see the gospel take root and work out of these kinds of movements, the more you're going to actually need aspects of institution to hold it together and to, to protect people from the abuses and to, to give the, the structure the, the trellis on which that kind of organic growth can, can happen. Sure. Cause uh, the church in Acts chapter two, it didn't stay that way. It didn't stay that way. It, even in the Bible, even in the Bible, right. even by the time we get to the end of Paul's letters or, you know, John, I guess John writing to the churches yeah. all over the place yep. uh, that had elders and deacons and had structure. And even at times, came together to deal with different disputes that developed within churches. Yep. Um, so so the Acts 2 church didn't stay the Acts 2 church. Yep. It went on. It did. And, uh, so to think that you can just stay. the other uh, a, a small house church, maybe you would. I think you would either die on the vine mm-hmm. or you would grow and you'd have to have some of that structure into place. You would. The other thing that I thought of that that a house church would be just as much prone to as a mega church is, or any other church would be uh, falling into the trap of like the cult of personality. Sure. So some of the mega churches they're led by a dynamic, charismatic. I don't mean charismatic theologically. Sure. Maybe sometimes. Sure. But just a very a person with a lot of charisma, a lot of personality. Uh, and, and that's who the church is centered around. Mm. Same thing can happen in a house church. If you have somebody with a strong personality, yeah. um, you know, those kinds of attributes, very engaging, very charismatic, they can steer a house church in a, in a goofy direction just as much as a mega church pastor can. Mm-hmm. So, so those kinds of, um, uh, possibilities for distortion and, and getting off track, it's just as much there in a house church as it is in a in a mega church. That's right. I think that's right. So, so is it? I I guess when I would look at this, and, and even going back to the question, the the friends and acquaintances who feel that America is doing church wrong and participate in home churches. So, I think what you can affirm about that is that they are they recognize that their need to gather with other Christians to worship together. Yeah. I think there's a lot to affirm in that. The challenge maybe to bring there would be number one. Um, would be starting something out of your disillusionment and frustration is, is probably never a good yeah. idea. And almost always house churches like this are reactionary and overreactionary to, to the opposite side of that. Mm-hmm. So like that's, I mean, I, I think that's Francis Chan's story. Like I'm, you know, I don't know him at yeah. all. I don't, but I, he even talks about his own story in the sense that like he woke up one morning and realized like, what are we doing? Yeah. Um, I think there's, I think you can acknowledge that there are, there are, there are, there are things that are wrong with the church in that consumeristic kind of thing. And that that happens in all settings. And I think that's maybe the part that, that there, there could be some gentle rebuke and, and encouragement given to friends and acquaintances as you have opportunity and conversations to say, well, what happens if this by the grace of God goes well? And what happened? And, and how do you know that the people who are, who are leading, like should be the people who are, leading in your midst. Right. There, there is a, um, we talk about this in our covenant class a little bit. There is a, uh, in a, a dangerous kind of authoritarianism, a heavy handed kind of leadership where mm-hmm. a few people in charge just dictate what yes. everyone else should do in a church setting. 
what sometimes is neglected, and I think this is more the error of the house churches, is a really unhealthy anti-authority perspective that just says we have a very um, flat organizational chart, so we to speak. We all hold each other accountable. We're all accountable. We're yeah. all in charge. And the reality is... There's some is, truth to that. There's the, there's the one anothering in, yes. in, the, in the Christian life, and we're involved in each other's lives. Um, but you've got to, at some point, deal with passages like Hebrews 13, that there are these, that there are these um, servant leaders called and qualified men called elders that give an account to God for the, for the, the spiritual vibrancy mm-hmm. and vitality of the people in, entrusted yeah. to their care. Right. And so it's like, well, who are those people yeah. in this setting? They're also meant to guard and protect the sheep from false doctrine and false teaching. Um, and the home churches, house churches would be, would be ripe places for false teachers to bring in interesting perspectives yep. uh, that maybe I've never heard before. And that's amazing. But like history has heard about them before and yes. called them heresy. Yeah. Um, so I think that's, I think that's maybe some of the gentle corrective to bring there um, as you have opportunity conversationally. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Good. Okay. Well, another question, same uh, home listener, uh, different question here. Uh, something else I thought of, how would you gently begin a discussion with a Jesus-believing friend who just hasn't made church a priority? What are some starter questions you'd maybe use that wouldn't sound attacking or casting judgment on them? Yeah. Um, I always like this this framework of um, kind of the, the better like the better version of, of being judgmental is curiosity. Hmm. So yeah. judgmental kind of automatically assumes motive, assumes this is why that person's not gathering. I've got, I, I know why they're not gathering. Curiosity is, is like leads you to ask what this person's asking. Like, what are the questions? What are yeah. some good starter questions? So I think if you come in with a posture of curiosity rather than judgment, that by itself lends itself to the right posture and dynamic to have a productive conversation. Mm-hmm. And so that, you know, a starter, any kind of curiosity starter question would be great just in something as simple as, you know, Hey, I noticed that, um, that gathering with a church or being part of a local church in a, in a consistent committed way doesn't seem like it's been something you've been, been interested in or wanting to do recently. And I'd love to hear more about that. Like, tell me, tell me maybe why that's the case or is there something that kind of shaped that or led you that way? Um, I think something like that would be a great opening and just to let, and then listen for a while to hear them kind of recount maybe some of their, their experience to that, to that point. And my guess is if, if you did that, if a person did that, what, you know, what, what, what led you to that? Or, um, they're not going to come with a theological, um, uh, explanation of why they have reached that point. Yeah. What you will probably hear if you listen, if we listen well enough and if we probe long enough and deep enough is that there's some pain and there's some hurt. Yep. And there's, uh, something or some set of circumstances that happened that caused deep mistrust. Mm -hmm. And, and I get it. You know, it happens. And, um, it, it's, you know, a number of us have had uh, situations like that that probably caused us to contemplate throwing up our hands and saying, I'll, I'll be a follower of Jesus. I want nothing to do with the church anymore. Totally. Um, yeah. But then if you, if you are that curious person who walks beside somebody like that, mm-hmm. then you have opportunity to maybe speak into their lives and bring some healing in those areas. Yeah, I think that's right. 
I think that's right. And we, I, I got to talk kind of briefly yesterday about maybe some of it wasn't exhaustive, but some of the range of reasons that would lead people to, to pull back from gathering. And like you mentioned, Bob, a number of them have to do with past wounds that they've experienced the idea of vulnerability. It's just, yes. it's, it, it's, it's scary to, to come to a place and to, to say, I, I do want to be part of this gathering of Christians and be known here. It's a lot easier to just stay at home and watch a, watch other people gather on yeah. TV. It's just easier to do that. Um, that's, that's one. Um, there are, there are other ones that are like someone just, some people just maybe value their independence. Uh, some people are just apathetic or lazy for a season or for indefinitely. Um, some is kind of a reputation type thing that they're, they don't want to be associated with the church. Yeah. Um, a lot of folks that, that kind of steer more toward the house church, home church model, really would say stuff like, I love Jesus, but I don't like the church. Yeah. I like Jesus, but I don't like the institution of the church. So I think exploring those reasons uh, with people is a great, is a great starting point. And then, um, you know, you might have good answers from scripture to, to speak into those reasons as they come up conversationally. Uh, and if not, then I think that's, it'll be a good opportunity for, for each of us to explore well, why, why do we do that? Yeah. yeah. Why? If maybe I, maybe they're presenting something I haven't thought of before. Um, and maybe I should be thinking about following Jesus without being part of a church the way they are. What I would hope is that that would lead us very quickly back to, um, you know, we, what we got to look at a little bit yesterday, yes. that there, that yeah. there is something so important and an outpouring of the grace of God that comes through the gathering mm-hmm. and that we should not neglect it. Um, especially if we start to think about it, not just what's good for me, but what's actually good for other Christians. Yeah. What's my role in their life? Uh, Cause I, it's not just what I'm getting from this from God and from others, but it's what I'm, what I'm able to offer in a setting like this. Um, and so hopefully there's an opportunity in, in that discussion to, to uncover some of the, of all of that. Yeah. And, you know, I was thinking just as you were talking there about, Really, all the letters, almost all the letters that Paul wrote, the vast majority of them, he wrote to the church in Galatia. He wrote to the church in Ephesus. So yeah. we we read what he wrote in those in those letters, and we often only think of them in individualistic terms. Um, and they are meant to foster our own personal growth in Christ, but they also are directed towards the church and. So maybe, um, you know, looking at those letters and seeing that they're written to the church, they're mm-hmm. written to a group of people, a group of believers in a particular place, and not just the Christians living in Ephesus or Philippi or what have you. Yeah. Um, maybe there's some traction there to help them to see the value and importance of the church and, yeah. and gathering together as a church. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's, I mean, that's well said. It made me think, too, I think that I think. Francis Chan wrote a book called Letters to the Church. Hmm. I think he wrote that, which in there, there's some really good kind of pushback on some of the, what is church and have we thought about it in an unhealthy way? And I think he's got some, I think he's got his finger on some really good things there. But that's where I think there's some good discussion to be had when you, when you pull back from that scenario, all of a sudden you've got, well, who is this guy who, who would presume to address the church the way that the only people who have done that in the history of in the history of Christianity are like the apostles yes. and the and their successors. Yeah, you know? yeah, like, yeah. Um, so you've got this 
I think if you get into that a little bit and you go, oh, he's, you know, like if you're able to parse that out and go, there's some, there's some gold in the, in the, in the challenges that a person like this is bringing. But also, number one, he has a platform to do that because he built it right. through a mega church, yes. like through, like through an institution is the reason he has a platform yeah. to say it. And, and then number two is like from that platform is now giving himself a role to speak yeah. broadly to the church, capital C. Yeah. I think you pull back on that and you go, hang on a second. Yeah, like, time out. The only way he's even able to do this and talk about this is borrowing from the, insti- the institutional structure that's existed for 2,000 years yeah. since the church began. So I, I, that's where, I, you know, and this is like my Presbyterian cards <laughs> on the table, right? Like this is my, like, uh, I'm not a house church guy. Here's what I am, though. I am kind of like a small church guy. Mm-hmm. So like, I and, and you know, I, I take pushback on this. I have good friends that pastor significantly larger churches than, than Liberty. Um so I'm happy to like dialogue about it in a, in a, you know, in-house debate. This is yeah, like among, yes. among brothers and sisters in Christ. But, um, but I, I do think that you can guard against some of that consumeristic excess and the, the marketing machine and the, the fostering passivity rather than discipleship. I think, I think size does play a factor in that. I think so. And so I, I so. so while I'm not a house church person, cause I, I think it, it airs too much on the side of anti, anti-authority mm-hmm. danger to the people that are part of that church. Um, I'm, I'm also not like I, I'm sensitive to, and I appreciate the arguments that, that people like Francis Chan make yeah. that, that counter some of what I think is that the, 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 the sickness of the consumerism that's, that's out there in yeah. the church at large. Yeah, for sure. So good. Well, good discussion, Bob. I mean, lots, yeah. lots of this. This could open up even more um, as your Bible study groups or, or just conversationally. You know, some of your Bible study groups aren't meeting uh, these next couple months, taking a break uh, for the summer. But uh, if this prompts good discussion and, and continued reflection for you, um, that would be fantastic. We would we would love that. So yeah. feel free to keep sending in for sure. questions. Uh, this coming week, we're going to be opening up generosity. Generosity. So skip, skipping from... Uh, from the the worship kind of category and the gathered worship rhythm of grace to the mercy uh, value and one of those um, yeah. rhythms, which is generosity. So yeah. uh, we'll be back uh, next Monday to uh, to unpack the generosity sermon. Uh, well, you say we'll be back. I won't be back. <laughs> no, this is a, a special much birthday edition. A much deserved break after your birthday edition of the B Side Podcast. Fair enough. Fair enough. We'll welcome Steve back next week, yes. and we'll yes. talk a little a little bit about money, a little bit about generosity. <laughs> Sounds good. All right, everybody. Well, blessings to you this week, and uh, we'll see you soon. Yep. Have a great week, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Sermon B-Side podcast. For more resources and information about our church, visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org. That's Liberty with an I, Harrisburg.org.